As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. It's a full compliment here uh, today. Myself, Matt Messiano, Jordan Weimer and Tom Burdell all here to discuss, well, the big news, which is that, of course, Roy Hodgson has been appointed manager of Watford FC. We're also discussing transfer deadline day as it is that very day today. Uh, not a lot of action so far for the Hornets with their, most of their work being done early doors, but we'll talk about a few outgoings we think uh, might be possible. Um, but let's start with the with the uh, the most important news, of course, uh, Mr. Mr. Roy Hodgson, and of course his his assistant Ray Lewington being appointed to take over after Claudio Ranieri was shown the exit door. Um, Jordan, it probably wasn't a surprise that uh, that we saw Ranieri um, depart because, of course, losing three nil at home to Norwich is it's difficult to take, really, isn't it? After after you know a succession of losses. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of. We discussed it, didn't we? After the Norwich game, we felt that, that was the most likely thing to happen. And uh, yeah, seemingly it happened pretty quickly thereafter. So, um, I mean, as you said, no surprise. I think you could argue for keeping Manieri and, and getting rid But uh, I think kind of come down to it, that Norwich defeat was just one, one too many against the team around us. And yeah, it's a final nail in the coffin. Indeed. I mean, I was surprised though to, to find out that it was going to be Roy Hodgson. Tom, did you see that one coming? No, certainly not. Because... As we've said before, so you know how long we've been doing this podcast, and we've talked about however many managerial changes. You never, you never expect anyone to come in, really, do you? And you, it's almost not worth entering into the debate uh, around it because of that very reason. They usually pull up someone unexpected. Case mm. in point being uh, Chisco when he came in. Case in point being Claudio Ranieri when he came in. Yeah. Obviously, once it started getting reporters and there are a few quite reliable sources out there aren't they the daily mail are usually pretty hot on us and i think it's john percy at the telegraph is usually pretty good on us as well once those sort of guys start reporting you think well, it's got legs um but he doesn't really apart from the fact this is the massive caveat that he's worked for the potsos before he doesn't quite seem to fit the bill does he being you know british being very experienced uh premier league campaigner and you know being someone that we've heard of so no i was i was, I was surprised I must admit, and my feelings have changed over the kind of last week. I was, at the time, I was a bit sort of really kind of underwhelmed, but I've come around to it pretty quickly. And maybe I'm just very easily influenced and very impressionable. But <laughs> today, I'm a lot more positive than I was about it whenever it was a week ago. As for the decision, it had to happen in Winter Norwich, and it was just the most pathetic, limp, listless performance I've seen 
since the last one. So yeah, that's happened. Were you surprised, Jordan? Um, yeah, I mean, surprised in, in a sense. I mean, I think as Tom kind of said there, you, you can never really be too surprised. You often do kind of take take someone out of left field, but I mean, like, I can see I can see some of the some of the thinking behind it. Um, initial thoughts are still kind of I don't know. I'm still not 100 percent convinced in the appointment. Um, obviously, there's a lot to a lot to prove, and not, haven't even kicked the ball yet since Roy's taken over, so it can't be too critical either. But I, I think just looking kind of at the at it from a base level initially, um, I, I do have some concerns with Hodgson. But you know, maybe that is what we need. Maybe they, maybe he brings some of the qualities that we need and brings some of the kind of fundamentals we need um, right now. Because I can I can see there obviously are some frailties, and perhaps they think Roy is the man to address it. But um, it, it's a it's a tough one. It's, it's a strange decision um, in a number of ways, but it might not necessarily be the wrong one. What what does he bring, uh, Jordan? What does he what does he what does he bring to that to this side? What what can he um what can he do that maybe other managers couldn't? Oh, that's a good question, Matt. I think uh, the, I think when you look at Hodgson, obviously it's kind of maybe slightly hypocritical to say this because we just moved on from a very experienced manager. But I think when you bring in Hodgson, you bring someone that's very comfortable in in their approach, um, quick, comfortable relaying information is a good communicator, someone that's able to get his point across well. Um, I know it's a cliche that we talk about often, just getting that point across, but there is there is an element of truth to it. Um, and it's not just necessarily in how you know he communicates himself with the players, but it's also just kind of the methods he uses to to get his ideas in. Um, I think he does that. I think he's obviously got a history of playing in a certain way um, and kind of holding true to some particular beliefs and values that perhaps other managers we've had previously haven't done. Um, whether or not that's a positive long term is, is another question. Um, but in this situation, I think he's someone that, that comes in with a bit of a, a bit of a firm hand, not in a not in Nigel Pearson sort of way, but someone that that can make decisions and can make tougher decisions without really being too worried about the backlash. I think the interesting thing, and one interesting thing about Roy Hodgson, is that with this quite likely being his last job, he's got he's got no reason to try and please anyone that he didn't have to. Um, you know, obviously he he's going to be respectful and so on, but I think he is able to make decisions a little bit more freedom than some of the head coaches we've had previously, perhaps, uh, and that might be something that works in his favour. Um, I don't think he'll be stuck too much to to keeping certain players in the pitch. I think he's just going to go out there and, and make his assessments and what he thinks is best for the team and, and do so, which is a, perhaps a slight bit of freedom we haven't seen for a little while. Just a four-month deal, though, Tom. And um, from what we know from 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 Roy's previous exploits at, at Fulham and then Crystal Palace, it took him a little while to to get, you know, sort of uh, on the road, as it were, with his team before he started to manage to, you know, to find wins and, and, and you know, consistency. Um, not a long time to really do that with Watford. No, that's the only thing, isn't it? They're, they're kind of rescue acts, and he said this himself with with Palace, West Brom, um, and Fulham. Prior to that, you know, all kind of started earlier than than this one has to. We're not in a terrible position in that respect, though, are we? we you know, we're not in no. kind of points and points and points from safety. Um, in terms of the in terms of the length of the deal, I think that's the only sensible thing for all parties. We all know how it works. <laughs> you know, if he if he doesn't keep us up or doesn't look like he's keeping us up in March, say he's probably or April, he's probably going to get sacked. Um, whether or not he keeps us up, you would reasonably assume he won't be here next season. He isn't a, a long term appointment in that respect. You know, it's a very finite period that we need him for in a very specific role that he's been hired for. So. I'm fine with that. The thing I would say as well is, 
even if uh, even if he does keep us up, I hope I hope that they use that as the platform to then make a you know more kind of holistic appointment that can re- can help be part of the reset and really starting again rather than doing the easy thing, which would be to say, oh, he's kept us up at this stage. Let's you know let's roll with the punches, give him another year's contract, and, and see where it ends up. Because although I'm sure he'd do fine. We, at some point, we do have to start again, and if uh, if it's if it's going to happen, it's probably has happened from the position of strength of being in the Premier League and, and getting that TV revenue and so on and so forth. Mm. So, yes, I'm I'm more positive than I was because of everything that he's done. However, it's not going to be quick and it's not going to be easy because he still has majority the same defence. That Claudio Ranieri was working with. Uh, the fact that he's had, you know, kind of have had a couple of weeks to work with him on the training ground is a big help. But you know, you can't you can't turn water into wine overnight. Um, no, the defence that is the area really that um, is his specialty, as it as it were. Um, and Jordan, he needs to he needs to be performing almost immediately, doesn't he? Because that defence, it was awful against Norwich. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's not one with Roy because I'm not sure. I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure that defending is even his specialty in terms of his, the way his teams play. I'm not sure it's necessarily the strong point. Um, he's certainly no. He's, he's known for being hard to break down, though, isn't he? His teams. I think he's. I, I'd say his teams are flexible. I think they definitely try to to kind of keep a a consistent shape and, and try and play both ways. But I mean, he's conceded a lot of goals. I mean, you look at his last season at Palace; they conceded a lot. Um, they were by no means. By no means a team you could look at and say this is a defensively solid team. Um, it, it wasn't even a situation they were really kind of you know blunt up front and able to keep clean sheets, and that got them kind of enough points to stay up. It's it's a team that was actually struggling defensively, um, which does give you some concern. But obviously, it's a it's a it's, it's a multitude of factors that play a part in that. It's also the players he has available. There were some questionable defenders at the club at the time for Palace too. Um, so it's not just a case of Roy Hodgson, but. Um, I think if you look at someone you're bringing in specifically to sort out or rectify defensive issues, I wouldn't necessarily say Roy Hodgson was was one of those. I'd say that his defending or his, his the, the, the quality in defence when it does play well for Roy seems to really come from a group understanding of how to play off the ball um, rather than someone that comes in there that's uh, more defensive minded and looks to play, play in that in that manner a little bit more. Um, the most I think Roy's quite a balanced manager um, and his his work off the ball it, it can be effective and it can be good but I wouldn't say it's necessarily someone you'd look at as a quick fix for that that issue yeah he did talk about that actually when he was being um, interviewed on on the on the Hive Live he, he did say that um, you know defending is more than just the defense it's it's the whole team unit that needs to um, you know come together to to you know to to be in the right areas to you know to Know, to, to work as a team, I suppose is, is probably the you know the best best phrase to say, and and that seems to be his kind of philosophy, Tom. Yeah, he's you know he's a manager that's not going to pander to egos or, or ex- allow anyone, I don't think, to be a special case and not work for the team. There was a good piece on the Athletic um, this week regarding it, and talking uh, there was some quotes in there from. I think it was Damien Delaney talking about kind of the time he had at Palace and how much he rated him and the fact that, you know, even Andros Townsend and, and Wilfred Zahar, who were the kind of flair players in that Palace team, were still expected to put a shift in and work hard. And, you know, you would not associate them under most coaches or in most instances as being 
hard-working players out of position, but, you know, they had to be. Mm. Um, so I think that I think that plays well. The other thing I would say is I saw the stat, it was Luan's that tweeted earlier about the number of goals that Palace have conceded in the last, I can't remember if it was the last two or three seasons, but it was a surprisingly high amount given, you know, the relative safety uh, of the finishes that Palace had. But what I would say is that obviously they're, their XGA and obviously XGA alone does not keep you up. But their expected goals against was mid-table or better uh, in in each of those last three seasons. I think it was the three full seasons that Roy Hodgson did with Palace. Um, sorry, in two of those three seasons, they were sort of ninth, tenth for XGA. So, you know, which sort of suggests maybe they were a bit charitable at times, goalkeeping errors, that sort of thing. But um, the... The prevailing narrative around him, you're right, Matt, is that he gets teams organised and solid. And I heard somewhere, I read somewhere about how he kind of used to train the defenders by tying them all together. Uh, so they had to kind of, they could only be so close to each other, you know, kind of to emphasise the point of holding a line and staying close to one another and whatnot. And just things like that it makes gives you the cause for optimism that he will if not saw, at the very least, improve our most kind of glaring uh, hole in this team. Yeah. If he does, might literally have to tie them together on Saturday. Well, he might. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, if, uh, if 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 he can't do it, I just don't know who else could. To be honest, really. No, I think. Listen, I think. I think. Kind of my reservation on this, kind of the point I didn't really maybe articulate as well as I'd like to earlier on, is that I think that. I don't think that Roy Hodgson is necessarily a short-term impact manager. I look at him as more of a project guy who, who's taking a job in this fashion, who's, as he's coming towards the end of his career, you know, quite po- coming out of retirement, quite possibly most likely his last job. Um, I do like Hodgson, but I do think he's someone that you, I do think he's someone you, you kind of build around and allow him to have a little bit more of a kind of, a little bit more of an impact in the DNA of the team and the club, a little bit more. I think I think his position here is quite an odd one. Well, that's interesting, isn't it, Jordan? Because he's he's been um, spoken about by a few journalists, as, as and, and they've highlighted the fact that he's coming in with a role title of manager rather than head coach, and that might just be in name only. But it feels like the the Pozzos have given him a bit more, I don't know, leadership responsibilities than perhaps his predecessors have had. Potentially, yeah, I, I think it, there's a chance. Um, but you know, at the same time, kind of. Opposite to that is the fact that he's only here in a short-term deal and he's not going to be here. Ninety-nine percent chance he's not going to be here next season either. So maybe he's got more control, but it's very, very temp- uh, temporary at best. Um, I mean, if you kind of look at the control, the other, oh, the, the more control that a manager could have for us, um, that would definitely be stuff you'd be thinking about off-season um, rather than kind of or long-term or more long-term planning that comes to recruitment rather than in a four-month period. So. I mean, maybe it's just a slight terminology difference, but I, I'm not sure how much um, more control he'd have. Perhaps it's um, Gino's um, way of dipping his toe in the, in the in the management feel and seeing if it if it suits. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, um, but I think the, I think the club have a structure they work with, and I think they could be changing that very quickly, especially for someone um, who's going to be around for short term. Um, and look, I think when it comes to Roy, obviously we as i said earlier we can't judge him too harshly before anything's happened but um i do think we have to be aware that the, the type of situation he's come in under um i think he's a short-term coach and you know in some ways it can be a little bit frustrating we're just kicking the can down the road again um and looking to re-go re- again in the summer obviously this isn't just uh, this is also a bid to kind of keep us up and we felt like a change was needed to, to give us that best chance to understand um I'm just not still not convinced that Roy Hudson's going to be the the guy to give us that short-term impact uh, but we'll see 
something that I think he will do. And I, I read this in an article as, as well, Tom. We might have been reading the same article, in fact. This was uh, one where uh, Danny Murphy mentioned about his, his time at Fulham working with, with Roy. And he said that he, he's a man that loves to do 11 versus 11 drills over and over, replicating real match situations and sort of drum into the players how to react in different circumstances. And, you know, it, it, it feels like that's his kind of style of um, of coaching. He wants to, you know, maybe move away from the, the, the stuff that some managers do, perhaps the tippy-tappy type stuff, and, and instead just go through uh, real match situations and, and try and prepare his players in that way. Is, is that kind of how you how you see it, Jordan? Yeah, I mean... I think he's a process manager. I think he's someone that that does like to kind of have a lot of control and and likes to have a lot of uh, a lot of say in all aspects of the game. Um, I, I think he's a very hands on coach. I think he has very specific ideas in mind. I don't think he's necessarily someone that comes in and gives players a ton of freedom. I think he likes to give um, relative freedom within a quite defined structure. Um, and that structure, I think, can, can be quite balanced. I think he, he he will be kind of looking at the team being quite able to contribute offensively as well as defensively, but um, it is within a certain structure that he likes to keep to. And I, I think that could be good for us in the sense that we need um, we need some stability. I, I'm not talking about kind of more off the field stuff. I'm saying we need some stability in the team, um, a, a little bit more of a, a thought process when we had the ball uh, and off the ball too. There's a, quite a few issues to deal with and I, I think that his approach will be good um, in, in a sense. It's just about if he can do it in such a short period of time to the degree that we need it to be done because we are quite far off the pace. We have been in the last few games at least. Tom, what's your opinion of that coaching style? I mean, that sort of a repetition over and over again, replicating real match situations. It reminds me sort of like a... Of, of a of a Stanley Kubrick, but of a of a football world. I must admit, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, Jordan, you're probably better place to to tell me this or answer this. But I, I assume that to a greater or lesser extent, all coaches do this, right? I've only watched you know a handful of coaching sessions in my life, and most of it, I, I wouldn't know what the hell was going on. But I, I kind of get the impression that they all do this, right? Particularly towards the end of the week, like as they're preparing, nothing too physical you know, more the kind of tactical work. But yeah, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, to be quite honest, at this stage of the season, we're not trying to make them better players necessarily. You know, they've, they've all got a ceiling uh, to a greater or lesser extent, most of them to a lesser extent. Um, you know, you reasonably assume they are all fit. It's not necessarily, uh, you quite often see a new manager come in, don't you go, oh, well, they're not fit enough. It's a quick win to to blame the the previous regime and, and, and buy yourself time at the same time, but you know this it really is quite simple. It's it's survival mode, isn't it? And it's just grind out enough points. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be building for the future. The future is you know middle of May whenever the season ends, uh, the Premier League season ends. So we, we quite simply have to grind out enough points to to stay in this division and build again next year. So yeah, whatever boring means it takes, however crap the football is however boring it is for the players it will all have been worth it if we can say we're in the Premier League 21-22 sorry 22-23 season yeah I think in terms of the coaching I think um, I think as you're saying there towards the end of the week the, the kind of common practice is to have you know a couple of days for the match you go through the starting 11 versus the the players that aren't playing replicating something similar to what you're about to play um, that's kind of the standard but you know every other Every other coach has different ways of doing things, and I think Roy is someone that seemingly likes to 
work a lot on shape um work a lot on kind of team shape in, in general and, and look for opportunities to kind of get that involved in those coaching sessions rather than going through the more positional group defensive or offensive kind of that transitional phase coaching style that a lot of a lot of managers like to do um so he's he's probably someone that's going to spend a lot of time on, on the pitch with the players and kind of having quite a hands-on approach not kind of not kind of separating the team up too much into different units and allowing the coaches to work on the smaller group. Um, he likes to keep the group together and, and try and create that team work and ethic that way. Um, so it, it, it will be interesting to see. It'll be fascinating to see what it looks like um, and how much we kind of get across on that and that first game against Burnley. What, what do you think the shape will look like, Jordan? Four four two is is probably what Hodgson has played for most of recently, but he's played four three three as well, and you know it it. it feels like that might be the better fit for Watford's current players based on who we have but but maybe the 442 would be better what what what's your gut feeling well uh, yeah it's a tough it's a tough one because i think he's going to this would be the crucial time for him is to sit down and assess what what his assets are right now obviously he's got a few players returning and in loser and, and Messina, which might change some of his thinking um especially with loser there but um i i think i think 433 does suit us or having the three man midfield just to be a little bit more general does suit us based on on what we have available. Though having said that, um, we do have the, the type of midfielders we have. I'm not sure if it offers quite the balance that that Roy would want um, from that midfield three. I think he'd like to have someone a little bit more offensively minded. It's possible um, that loser played a little bit more, further, a little further forward, and was allowed to contribute in those four areas a little bit more. Obviously, we have two fam who hasn't worked out so well so far. Um, but I think if you look at that midfield three and try and put them together, you might think, okay, we're lacking a little bit of um, a little bit of quality of possession, and that's something you kind of want to create that balance that Hodgson's looking for. So in that sense, you, you could quite easily fall into the four four two. We have plenty of midfielders that are capable of playing that two man midfield. You know, robust players that they can they can lay the ball off quickly and don't really have to be too too incisive in possession. And then you can work with those wide men and, and strikers. Um, we have players that can play in forward areas. We've got lots of options, the likes of Pedro, Josh King. Um, players that play in wide positions, you can also play narrow. Dennis Saar, um, as well as some, as well as some others that can play wide. You know, you got Ken Semer, Chucho, um, uh, and even even using the likes of Tom Cleverley or Loser in wide positions too. So I, I think I could see us going for the um, for the four four two as as the season goes on. But it wouldn't surprise me if in the first game we are a little bit more pragmatic and do stick with that three man midfield. What do you reckon, Tom? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it probably is. To a greater or lesser degree, four four two, four four one one, something like that, because it just seems boring and safe and simple in the most kind of coached system, and whether it actually fits. However, and 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 what he's used quite a bit in his, I think he used four five one a bit at Palace, didn't he? Four one four one, you know, all kind of variations on the theme is what I'm what I'm thinking. But I, I actually don't think that's a bad thing for us. I, I if I was Trying to seven, sort of second guess a team for Hodgson in a four four two or or similar. I wonder if you might see Musa Sissoko playing on the right so that he can tuck in and then that becomes a three with the other two central midfielders and you can have someone on the left, be it Dennis, be it Saar, with more license to kind of you know get forward in the right moments and join the front two um, because. He has played there before. Sissoko for Newcastle. He was quite 
higher up but quite effective on that kind of right hand side but with his kind of energy and what have you he kind of seems like a good option to be you know quite a sort of defensive wide player but he's also got the legs and whatnot to get forward all right we don't want him shooting but you hopefully can take the point and then you can still have the kind of um the the, the two of, of loser when he's back from oh, back soon from AFCON obviously and Kembe who seems to have done well and was probably one of the less terrible players against Norwich for me um, with a bit of flair on on the on the left hand side as well. I don't know what I don't know what you think about uh, what you think about that, Jordan. The only the only thing I'd say is we've it feels like we've only really got one out and out centre forward. So I wonder another way of doing it might be to have someone like Dennis or Saar off of um, off of Josh King. I say one out and out centre forward. I mean one out and out viable centre forward, not Ashley Fletcher. <laughs> I think what you said is true in terms of uh, the wide men. That's what I think. Um... I think Tom Cleverley could be quite quite likely playing on that right. Um, I think you could also look at Loser as well. I think Loser's had well, he has had experience playing in the wide position from a four four two. You know, the roles are a little bit different when it comes to playing the right or left midfielder in a four four two. You're going to have a little bit more, a little bit more kind of emphasis on controlling the ball and have a little bit more discipline defensively. Um, I think maybe you could look at even Ken Semmer could be in there for a shout too. Players that are a little bit more well rounded. I think it's going to be unlikely we'd see a front four, essentially, of Saar, Dennis, Pedro and King. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to be more conservative, more pragmatic than that. Um, I think it could come in the form of playing one of those kind of central midfielders that has a little bit more you know, flexibility in terms of movement and able to contribute a little bit further up the pitch. Um, and it could be coming from you know, the likes of Cleverly Loser, as you said. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, but I think it's difficult to predict too much because it really is going to depend on what what Hodgson thinks kind of the strength of this team is. Um, I think you could definitely say the strength comes from some of those attacking players. So there might be kind of the, the you might be tempted to play two up front just to get more bodies forward. And also with someone like the likes of Pedro, you can also play him in a way which is a little bit more versatile. He can come deeper and contribute there when needed as well. Um, it doesn't have to be such a rigid 4-4-2. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how we approach it. Do you think we'll see uh, Ismail Yassar uh, playing up front in a sort of like a Zaha role once he's um, back back at the club? It's entirely possible. Yeah, I think it is possible. I think that's that's what I mean. I think if you look at those real kind of attacking threat players, if we're to play in a four four two, unless we do something as, as Tom suggested there, which is you know a little bit lopsided, um, you have kind of one more offensively minded winger, and the other one's a little bit more defensively minded, someone that can can move into a, a deeper position and help defensively and kind of be that insurance when you send the other guy forward. Um, if he's not doing that, I could easily see him playing as one of the front two. We have that more recognised central figure in King. Um, I think the guy next to him, whoever that may be, is going to have a little bit more licence to to play. And I think that could easily fall to King, uh, sorry, to Dennis, Saar, uh, Chucho, Pedro. They all fit that bill for me. Um, the other factor, of course, uh, with Roy is that he's not coming in alone. He's coming in with uh, Ray Lewington, who... Um, the majority of people in the world, um, they probably think, oh, that guy who was his assistant manager. Um, but of course, for Watford fans, we're welcoming back, uh, you know, a, a beloved ex-manager who um, sort of steadied the reins for Watford for, for a few seasons um, and, you know, did, by all accounts, a reasonable job given, you know, the sort of circumstances that he was in at the time. How big a factor is it that, that Ray's sort of coming back with Roy in that sort of, you know, uh, partnership? I think it goes a long way to... Legitimising is probably too strong a word because you know Roy Hodgson, former England manager, managed 
Inter Milan and a host of other big clubs and, and you know has a proven record in the Premier League. But I think it does go some way to legitimising his appointment more from a club point of view and you know some of the sort of dissent that's been aimed towards the hierarchy and the ownership and what have you to bring back someone who is you know a bit of a cult figure here. You know he'll never go down obviously as a as a Graham Taylor or. A, a trophy winning manager or a promotion winning no one's won a trophy no. but you know what I mean promotion winning manager um, he did it right in the FA Cup didn't he and the League Cup that's it you know, over you know over the kind of two and a half seasons he had he did very well and you know it wasn't always necessarily the most exciting um, but he did what was required and you know it's um, for me I'm 29 so I was 11 or 12 when he was first appointed and you know so that was when I was really first really into football mm. um you know I was going more often I got my first season ticket when when he was manager um and you know I can remember all that so 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 vividly uh his time and, and being and I wrote about this being so shocked when he was sacked you know just did not see it coming um and and it felt really seismic and really significant and partially because I was you know young and hadn't really known any other Watford manager properly. But, you know, at that point, it was a big deal to, to part company with your manager, wasn't it? The fact that we've come so far the other way and it's come just like, well, when's the manager getting sacked? You know, yeah. there's something kind of symbolic, I think, in him coming back at a time, um, you know, when we're really, you know, in a, in a fairly bad state of affairs. And, and I don't just mean that from a football sense. I mean that from a the kind of relationship between owners and supporters. You know, it, there's never been more... and. I'm taking my barometer from Twitter here, so we're using Twitter as my barometer, which isn't always the best thing to do. Um, you know, there's never been more kind of palpable discord between ownership and the club and, and the supporters uh, under the Pozzos than there has been really this season and, and probably stretching back to the, the previous, uh, the 2019-20 season when we, we were relegated. And, you know, compared to what Ray Lewington had to deal with, you know, shedding players overpay players for fun that really plunged us into crisis after the ITV digital collapse. Um, you know, having to get Neil Cox to put uh, put the 12% pay, cut, uh, pay deferral, sorry, to the players, uh, you know, knowing that he was going to lose Stephen Glass, Alan Nielsen, others, you know, long before that season was out. You know, they were really on borrowed time, the, the remaining kind of little drips of quality in that team. And still keeping us, you know, heads well above water in 0203, certainly taking us to the FA Cup semi-final. You know, it's remarkable, really. So, yeah, it gives, you know, and this ultimately will mean nothing if we get relegated. I'll be as upset and frustrated as the next man but or woman. But um, it gives me a bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling seeing Ray Lewington back. And you can't, you know, you can't convert that into points, sadly. But it, it, it just, it gives me a little bit more... Optimism, I, you know, there's no tangible reason why, but the significance and the symbolism of he, him being back at the club means something, and you hope that it just gives everybody that little lift, and he can help Roy Hodgson get his message across, and and you know, do the job that's needed. And really, you know, if they walk away at the end of June, having kept us up, secured his status as a as a kind of modern Watford legend um, from from his first spell. Sorry, that was an incredibly long answer. No, it was it was it was passionate, Tom. And um, <laughs> you know what? I share a lot of the same with you because he was my second manager. I had Graham Taylor for that Premier League season, and um, 
that was that was you know it was lovely to to have him. But Ray Lurinton was more of a I guess my manager just because I got more time with him and yeah, it was a lovely it was a lovely period of my life when I was sort of getting to you know really become in love with the club and I think it's you know it's it's really nice for me that he's back because it feels like you know a, a whole circle is being completed there. But how about yourself, Jordan? What, what do you have any uh, memories of, of of Ray's time? Yeah, I mean, much like Tom, I'm the same age as Tom. So I think it kind of, yeah, I, I haven't really got much to add. I think you covered it pretty well. And yeah, I think it's good to have him back. And at the very least, it does kind of, it does kind of inject a little bit of nostalgia into the to a season that's been quite difficult. So it's definitely a positive. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good stuff. Um, well, we mentioned at the start of the show that uh, we are chatting here on Transfer Deadline Day. Um... There's not a great deal to report with regards to Watford, but we'll go through, you know, what we uh, what we know. Um, and I suppose that starts with uh, people that we think are going to be moving out or at least moving from one club to another club. Um, Domingus Queener currently uh, on loan at Fulham. It hasn't really worked out for him though, Jordan. No, it hasn't. Um, yeah, it's not the first club has not quite worked out for him right now, which is a shame. So, yeah, it looks like he's moving to Barnsley, doesn't it? Um which on loan, obviously he signed a new contract just before he sent him to Fulham. So it's always likely to be a loan move. Um, hopefully it's an opportunity for him to get some some first team football and play regularly because it's just not not happened as of yet. Um, there's still there's still a player in there. there. There is still a player in there. We just need to find a way to kind of harbour that quality and talent. It might happen, it might not. But I think getting him playing football is definitely the best way to find out. Uh, and Burnley's quite inter- uh, sorry, Barnsley's quite an interesting uh, opportunity for him. So I think it's a positive uh, for us. Uh, and it's a good move. He's a player that um, has a lot of uh, fans and also um, what, 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 the, what the opposite to fans be? Uh, I don't know. Um, non-fans? <laughs> but but um, I mean, there I know lots of people who, who would take him now. He would take him back and say, whenever they've seen him, that they feel like he's that kind of player that starts things and, and creates things. But others not so... Uh, keen on him, Tom. I guess if you're Domingus Quina, you're probably thinking, what's happened to my career? It's just, it's nosedived. He's such a strange case, isn't he? Because I think we've all seen bits of him games or moments in games where you think, God, there's a, there's a real player there. I know I have. Um, when he you know, had that little stint in the team under Javi Gracia, I think, was it 18-19? certainly remember him, and I'm sure I've referenced this before, the, the Cardiff game at home, who mm. they were a terrible Premier League team, they, you know, football team period but you know he played so well against him I thought you know we've got a real player in our hands here he's been eased in given given good number of minutes and it's just gone back to him you do just wonder you know what it is you think on talent alone he should get there so what is it is he you know is he too is, is there some facet of his game you know tactically that isn't uh, kind of meshing with what coaches want is it a personality thing is it a discipline thing you know, 
it can't just be that his face doesn't fit with, with numerous coaches at Watford and elsewhere. So you, you do wonder, and it would be such a shame if he kind of ends up drifting away because there's evidently talent there. Was he was he on the books at Barcelona as a kid or wanted by Barcelona as a kid or something? And he, just, he was wanted by him, wasn't he? Was yeah. Going, yeah. Right, yeah. So, you know, there's evidently a player, evidently a player, I keep saying that as if it's uh, an indisputable fact. I think there's a player there. Uh, and I really hope it works out for him. But as I always say, once you're off, you know, off on the kind of loan odyssey with Watford, I just think we things move so quickly here that it moves on from you. So I'd be yeah. pleasantly surprised if we saw him playing for us regularly again. Marco Silva yeah. is as question is question is work rate. Yeah, I think for I mean, obviously not to get too much into in discussions of players' character and so on, but I think my understanding is that. It requires it requires a certain personality. It also requires a lot of of personality and maturity to really reach your full potential as an athlete and professional athlete. I think you have to conduct yourself in a certain way and and approach things in a certain way. I just think I, I think Domingo Green has not quite managed to to do that at the standard that's required to be a, a Premier League footballer, footballer, even a, a Championship footballer too. Um, obviously, going to a, a team such as Barnsley gives him an opportunity to play a little bit more. Um, given the fact that he does have that high level of quality at his disposal, it's just about how he channels it. And I think so far in his career, channeling it in a positive in a positive way, um, and also just doing everything else that's required to get the most out of himself, just hasn't been there. And that's why we've seen these kind of fleeting moments because the, the player's there. It's evident. He, it, there's no question that he has got talent, but every club he's been at, he's, he's really failed to show that consistently. And generally, that comes down to uh, application from the player. And I think in that case, that's what it is. What about other players that uh, might be leaving uh, the club or, or moving on, on loan? Um, they need to get something done because uh, there's only 25 spots available and currently 28 players on the book. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, let's talk of Dan Gosling to Burnley, wasn't there? That was a, a slight bit of discussion I saw. Um, not sure if there's anything more on that. I mean, they, they can still potentially do some domestic loans, I think, after the after the window's closed. Um Maybe get Liverpool players that way. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but there's there's just not for the time it is right now. We're recording at, at what seven fifty at this point um, in, in the evening. I'm surprised there's not been more concrete in, in terms of outgoings, but as of yet, there's just not been much kind of close to confirmation. No, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you'd think that the Danny Rose thing is, but you know, borrowing any uh, you know any save from Hodgson. You think that one's probably just going to be allowed for his contract to, what to to be negotiated in a way where he can, what maybe take a portion and 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 look for another club or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I think if he wants to, if he wants to have a contract terminated and move on, but it's also entirely possible that he just is happy to see out this 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 kind of remaining six months and look for a club in the in the summer rather than moving in the in the January transfer window and just kind of get that get his wages another six months and, and move on is, but, is Danny Rose not on a two-year deal or was it one it is a two-year one? deal yeah, two-year, but I just think yeah. it's easier to facilitate a deal I don't think ah, gotcha. clamouring to sign him right now no um, that's it it's, it's got to be paying off but you know he'd be well within his rights to say hey, well I signed a two-year deal you're going to have to honour a bit more of it aren't you so yeah exactly, sure. yeah. I, I don't think it's within his interest necessarily to, to look for a quick move on deadline day in Kulu maybe uh, you know just being uh, deregistered Possibly with the injury. Possibly, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a potential. Um, yeah, potential include a release and uh, and maybe sign for Udinese. There was talk of that as well, wasn't there? Um, yeah, it's. it's it, I I don't know. I think we're kind of making some strange moves, but I think clearly 
Um, we're not in a massive rush to get players out of the door, otherwise we'd have done so at this point already, I'd assume. Mm. And you'd think that on, on the basis of that, there's unlikely to be any movement uh, with incomings uh, just because it would be difficult to, you know, to to get somebody else in. But there has been a little bit of talk. Um, the, ma- the majority has been around the potential of signing um, Dean Henderson on loan. Uh, I understand that there's been interest there, particularly after West Ham have moved maybe for Jesse Lingard now rather than Henderson. But... Um, do you think that's anything more than speculation? It's Samuel Luckhurst, isn't it, from MEN reporting that. So there's probably something in it. But I realised that, you know, goalkeeper is an area where we could make an up, you know, we could find an upgrade. It would be it would be a clear, you know, there's clearly room for improvement. Um, and after the signings we've made, it's probably one of the two areas where you'd say, yeah, if we could do business there, brilliant. But at this stage of the window... You know, we've already got Backman kind of whinging every time he goes back to Austria with his national team about a lack of minutes. You've you've got the the Ben Foster situation. It seems to have been a pretty good kind of citizen about being number two in the past, but you know he's a senior keeper, and if we've already got too many players trying to register and then move out another goalkeeper at this stage, it just seems very very unlikely to me. So. I wouldn't say no to signing him, and he's done well with a you know a team that struggled in Sheffield United previously. But I just it just doesn't seem likely. Does it? I just I can't I can't see all the pieces falling into place to make it happen. The only other thing that I've seen is um you know talk about uh, Antoine Simoneo, but um, I mean they're talking about twenty million is what Bristol want from it. it just doesn't seem likely. No, I don't think anything's happening today. I, I think I, I think our business was all done in terms of incomings right early on in January. Um, I think we made the, the the tweaks and adjustments we were going to to the squad, and and that's kind of where we were happy to to settle. And it's now kind of up to Roy to work with what he has currently. It would definitely be the route I think we're taking. If that's the case, then are you happy with the uh, the transfer business that Watford have done for January? Um, no, I think there's. I, I think happy would be perhaps a little bit of an overstatement. I think it remains to be seen. I think the business was okay. I think we addressed some areas we needed addressing. Um, I, I like the signings individually. I think they're, they're all uh, are good players to come in for us and they're all useful players. Um, we definitely didn't go out there and sign someone that kind of instantly really you know, changes the feeling around the club and you think you've got a real spark for hope there. Um, but we never really expected them to do so in January necessarily anyway. I think maybe... To, to improve this window in a, in a realistic sense, I think the most likely thing we would have, would have liked to have seen would have been just a couple more additions in, in more key areas. Um, mm. I think you could still look at centre-back and, and say we're potentially thin. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, even goalkeeper, there's a question mark there too. Um, so, uh, look, we brought in we brought in a few players. We got in four guys. Um, and obviously, it was maybe a little bit late in the window. We got Kalu done, wasn't it? So, um, that that's another one we can, we can include into that group. Um, but, none of these guys are the standouts but I just don't think that's the thing that we've got to be looking at I think we've got to think how is this going to help the team um, in kind of a week to week basis and is it going to plug some holes that could be a little bit light not going to raise the quality massively in some areas but it's going to maybe get us over the line in, in terms of depth having said that I do think that they are um, slight upgrades on, on some of the players we had in those positions too Tom do you think it's enough? It's the, the obvious question. question. Yeah, it's the obvious question, but it's such a good question. Honestly, I, don't, I just I don't know. 
Here's my question. I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to put a fire question back to you. <laughs> <Possibly. two. laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, massively. I'm going to fire a question back to you two. Obviously, a lot of conjecture on Twitter today about whether it's been a good window or a bad window or whatever. But I keep seeing people saying it's been an awful window. My question, I suppose, is similar to what you've just asked us, Matt. But in terms of what you actually expected that the club to do, realistically, you know, we weren't going to go out and sign up. 10, 15 million pounds centre-half. We were, you know, we, we were always working on a budget as a club, more so than ever now, I think, with the, you know, the effects of the pandemic and the relegation still, um, you know, fresh on the on the balance sheet. So it, how do you judge it personally? How do you judge it, you guys, uh, in terms of what was likely versus what you would have liked to have seen? Because I think, I'll answer it, in terms of what was likely... I think we've probably done about as well as, as we could. A, a goalkeeper would be nice if we could have sorted it out earlier to say, yes, this is a definitive number one and maybe another right back because I'm just not quite sure I trust either of them 100%. And maybe another centre-back because Nkulu's injured and we know about the others. But I don't know, that's you know that's a new defence and a couple of other players before you know it. So is that realistic in one window and is it realistic to bed all those players in? I don't think so. I think what I think what people want to see, Tom. I think they want to see a little bit more risk in the in the market. Um, I don't think that's our approach. I don't think that's going to change particularly quickly or anytime soon, um, especially not in January. It's just not how we operate. But I think when you got clubs around us, Burnley, for example, something Verkost, I think they they look at these signings and think, oh, why can't we be doing this? You know, why are we bringing in these kind of unknowns when mm. when Burnley are signing someone like Verkost? But it's a different thing. It's a different approach. Um, we, I don't think we should be too critical in a sense, but I think if you kind of looked at this window and tried to rate it, I think you'd say it was a safe window. Um, we didn't go out there and bring in um, a, a ton of quality and lay down a lot of money for a player. We we decided to kind of spread our money a little bit more, a little more cautiously, um, bring in some players that can that can help and, and at least build some depth, but not necessarily be a hundred percent starters. No one's coming apart from maybe Kamara. Uh, and obviously, Samir, his, his current the current centre back situation makes him more likely. But no one's really come in with that guaranteed starting spot. This is a huge upgrade in a certain position that we're struggling in. They've come in to add not more of the same, might be a bit harsh, but they're definitely closer than I think some people would have wanted. I think it's admirable uh, in some ways that Watford have decided not to take that gamble, as it were, and um, you know risk potential uh, issues later down the line if you know the Premier League isn't secured this season um you feel as though they might be all right if they go down to the championship financially because of some of the decisions that they've made um the contract renegotiations being one of those as well meaning that um you know players will take a cut if they go down to the to the championship but i can't help but feeling maybe a bit disappointed that they haven't i don't know no, I know tried harder, that. you know? I agree with your first comment. I, I think that's a fair standpoint. And it's difficult to really fall onto either side of the argument with any real conviction because simply we don't know the exact uh, financial situation of the club and what they, what room they do have to operate. I think I think you could either say, you could have that standpoint and say, yes, that we, we've been pragmatic. We're trying, to think, we're trying to play smart. We're trying to you know, be cautious, not, not be too aggressive in the market and, and have it hurt us down the road. 
On the other hand, um, we potentially should be taking some more risks in a bid to keep ourselves in a position which is far more profitable for the club. There's a slight element of risk, of course, but we, we have shown that we can do it, that we have had some signings in January before. I think that probably the best one or best example was when we brought in Perea uh, in January. That was kind of something that we, we felt that we felt gave us a boost. And I think that sort of signing right now um, something along those lines would definitely have helped a little um, when it comes to the the general feel around the club from the from the fan base in, in regards to the transfer window. But whether that was practical or not is, is really hard to say. All we can do is base it on the players we have in. Um, in which case, I don't think it's too fair to be too, kind of too certain in our opinions yet because we haven't seen them play an absolute ton. We're still kind of getting the feel on those guys uh, as of yet. We're not entirely sure, but I think there've been some early early positive signs. But I think when you kind of come to the end of a window and you still feel there are some gaps, it's hard to feel kind of completely sold that that's been a positive window for us. They certainly did um, look at a few different avenues. And, and there was reports today saying that um, uh, Nat Phillips was uh, one of those players that they were looking at and um, that they offered a, a, you know, an option of a loan for him and that he turned he turned it down um, and, and opted to, to join for Bournemouth. So you can't really... You know, do more than 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 ask these players, and and you know, and and you know, offer the opportunities um, in, in that respect. That's a strange one, isn't it? I saw that as well, and and you kind of think, why would you go? What's more attractive about a championship? You know, to a lone player, what's more attractive about a championship on club than us? Maybe winning promotion. But I would have thought that he's the stage of his career that he's at because he's not a young centre half necessarily. He has, you know, he's surprising. He's what twenty four, possibly even twenty five. You know, he's 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 not young young. Um, he's played for Liverpool quite a bit through necessity in the Champions League and so on. And I just I just wonder if, um, you know, he would have wanted he would have probably been better served by trying to stay in the Premier League at this point and earning a move in six months time. Uh, to, to another Premier League club or, or equivalent level club, so I wonder why we haven't been. You know, what was more attractive about Bournemouth? It's purely kind of speculation um, on our part, but I, it, that one just seems a little bit strange. I'm not saying, by the way, that we should have absolutely got him. Mean, he was, you know, people seem to be kind of falling over themselves to say that we should have signed him and he would have been the, the solution. But yeah, I do, I do just wonder. You know, were we not guaranteeing him enough football? You know, bigger part, big enough part in the team? I don't, I don't know. It just, I'm interested uh, to hear what what you reckon. I think that's. A, I think you just now at the end there. I think it's kind of assurances in game time. If he's going to be moving, I think he wants to be sure that he's going to be playing. I mean, otherwise he's going to he can just stay at Liverpool and play somewhat. Um, I, I think we just clearly just didn't offer the the assurances that he needed to know that he was going to be playing the football he wanted to play, whether that be Premier League or not. I think the most important thing for him at this point of his career, especially if he's looking to move in in the summer permanently somewhere is to get a good showing of what he can do. And I think Bournemouth might be a place that can facilitate that better than we can currently. Uh, especially when you look at some of the way some of the some of the performances we put out, he might not even feel like it's a great opportunity to showcase his talent anyway. So it's obviously a lot of a lot of um assumptions here, but that would be probably the the most likely I would say. It's um you know not really a, a you know a new trans, a new transfer deal, but it, it might feel like in some ways that we're uh, we're we're being able to get Loser and and Messina back after the Morocco side was um was was beaten in in the Afcon and uh, their run has come to an end so they'll be back and because they'll be back uh you know more or less now um if not in a day's time they'll be uh 
probably uh, having enough time to to recover from that and prepare with the team to be ready for Burnley this weekend. Yeah, as well as Trista Kong, right? And of course, of course, I forgot about Trista Kong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think they should all be in contention. Um, it, it's an opportunity for for Roy to see the players again and, and make that make that decision. I think it, the most important thing is that he has the ability to sit down and watch them and, and see how they perform in training, how they kind of work with their teammates and, and make that decision based off a, an educated uh, an educated start, standpoint from actually being able to witness them as, as a unit rather than kind of seeing video of them in previous games or off, uh, off in the AFCON. So having the team as a collective, I think, will be a positive for us and it, it puts them in a good position to start. I think loser is a must-start for me still. Uh, regardless of coach, I think he's been one of the most positive parts of the season. When he's played um, shortly before he, he he left the AFCON, it was definitely a plus. So to, to have him back is, is is a huge boost for us, I think. How do you think that he will um, he will fare compared to Kiembe? Because um, Kiembe made a, a decent start in that similar role, didn't he? Yeah, but I think Loser has a different role. I think Loser is someone that can contribute a little bit more going forwards. He can he can be a little bit more daring in possession. I like him carrying the ball too. I think he presses off the ball a little bit more aggressively. He's someone that can play further up when needed. He can play wide. He can play in a, a more advanced midfield role. Or when he's deep, is someone that you'd expect to, to define with the ball a little bit more. When we played, when we played with uh, Kayembe, he was someone that's a little bit more safe. He's played, he goes backwards and sideways a lot, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I, I do think they're different players that kind of occupy a similar position. Would it be a midfield for you then of, of Kayembe, Loser and Sissoko? Your ideal midfield three? Or? Uh, if it's a three, I think that'd be a way to go. If it was a two, I'd say potentially loser Sissoko. Uh, okay. Or you might see loser in a wide position with uh, Sissoko and Kiembe in, in, in the central area. There's been a bit of talk about Cleverly being um, sort of reinstated back into the, the you know the main starting position with with you know the admirer of Roy being the now the uh now the head coach slash manager. Yeah and, and and do not rule out cleverly on the right either. That is definitely a potential um position for him. Okay, explain that a bit more then because cleverly on the right doesn't seem like that's the right fit for him. No, I mean it depends on how you approach things, but in a four four two that that midfield is going to have a slightly different role as Tom mentioned earlier, if your left hand side is being that more aggressive of the two you might use Tom as that insurance to to kind of tuck in and play a little bit deeper and allow you that flexibility to change shape within the game. Uh, we've seen Hodgson use cleverly out wide for England as well. That was something he kind of favoured doing in those much different much different circumstances. And also cleverly's a few years older since then, but uh, there'll be some comfort there. Uh, and he, he's cleverly. We know what cleverly is. He's someone that can press and he can be aggressive. He can he can give you that energy. He can give you that work rate. And at times, I think we'll need that. And I think that's a, a quality in a player that Hodgson really admires, uh, and it might be the it might be the space for him to fit in rather than that central position. Okay, then thanks, Jordan. Um, now we've had a few questions in, um, and I think it's uh, you know good idea to to start answering some of those because we missed a few last time, didn't we, Jordan? Apologies, apologies for that, but we'll rectify that now uh, and answer some of those questions that have been sent in. So let's uh, let's, let's let's go ahead. All right, so um, let's have a look here. So first one we've got from Ian is a lack of midfield a real problem? Now, when I say when he says lack of midfield, I assume he means lack of variety in midfield. We obviously have a lot of midfielders available, um, but does he mean? I'm assuming he means kind of that more offensively minded midfielder that can play in there and provide that balance, which is a good question. I think we I think we do definitely. Lack that play, that that lack that option, and the less options you have at your disposal, you could argue the weaker the team. Um, so I, I do think that is an issue for sure. 
I wouldn't say it's our real problem necessarily. That kind of implies that it's our biggest problem. I don't think it's our biggest problem based on the coaches we have. I think we can play around it somewhat. Um, they're not play, they're not coaches necessarily focus on that aspect as, as being a key to their team. That is something that I think we could improve on. How about you guys? What midfield seems the area with, with the most bodies um, currently, you know, fit and available for us. Bodies, yes, but if you had, if you had, for example, in striking positions, if you had, say, I don't know, I'm trying to think, if you had four players all the same in the same manner as, say, Josh King, do you look at that as an issue? You know, they okay. might all be, you know, there's the players that can that can contribute and they're good, good players individually, but are we lacking a little bit of balance? Someone that can provide a little different, uh, a little different approach in that midfield area to give us that te- tactical flexibility in in, in game. Hmm. I think I think um, Pedro has showed that he can kind of become that kind of interesting midfield player when he when he's deployed in that area. And and if we do move to a four four two, I don't know if one of those striking positions would 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 suit him very well. I don't know if that's it feels to me to me like it'd be Josh King plus you know someone like Dennis or or Saar when he's back. I don't know if Pedro would be the the right person to partner up with him. Might- Pedro end up being in a two, being the one that kind of drops off a little bit and can sort of play between the lines and, you know, try and link things up between midfield and attack, I wonder. Because I, don't, I agree, I don't necessarily see him as an out-and-out number nine. I think he could do it. But I just wonder if, you know, in a, mark, in a kind of four four one one four four two whatever, with one guy given a bit of a freer role, might he be the one to benefit from that rather than being kind of yeah. pushed out wide? Yeah, I think I think you want freedom for Pedro. I think you want him to have some ability to play his game. He he likes to drop deep, and that's where he's really strong at. He's good at getting into those deeper positions, grabbing hold of the ball, carrying, committing defenders, playing that pass off out wide. Uh, but I think we saw him develop last year quite a lot too when it comes to that in the box, quick movement, getting in the right position. I think he's improved a lot. I think he can play in a central role. I wouldn't be opposed to playing him as a more traditional striker at all in the front two. But I do think to get the most out of him, you want him to have that freedom to drop in a little bit deeper, which I think in a 4-4-2 with the players we have available to us, I think it does suit us. I think Pedro is one of our better players. He has a lot of qualities that others don't. And I think including him does make us a better team. I think we saw in the last few games against Leicester in the FA Cup um, in, in the previous one also, not Norwich. Who's the game before Norwich? My order of games Newcastle. is in my mind right now. Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah, of course. Pedro contributed heavily there. I think it's important that he plays. I think it's important that we find a way to include him in the team. I think four four two is a good way to facilitate him. If you don't feel confident with him being that striker, that central figure, or you feel that Josh King just has kind of more of a claim to that role, uh, I think then changing to that four four two and him being that that second striker or that more attacking midfield player that is definitely viable, and I think it's quite a, a good route to go down. Um, so that kind of, I think, I think that kind of pretty much covers our opinions on that um next one is from marcus a lot of talk about 442 being roy's favorite formation how would you fit the current squad into that i think we kind of covered that one already um should we quickly go through our starting 11 if it was 442 or at least yeah or at least just discuss kind of what you'd expect to to be in there what changes you'd make to to, to i think foster starts doesn't he under roy hodgson i don't think there's even a debate is it no i think that's quite likely agreed uh, as for the starting centre backs, um, Samir, um, I think you know has has, has done enough to, the, to to show that he should be, you know, the start starting. 
personally, I'd like to see Sui Lauta alongside him. We haven't had the chance to see that yet. And, you know, he, he was my number one centre-back for, for quite a while. I'm surprised that he wasn't seemingly liked much by Ranieri. But maybe under Hodgson, he'll be given a, a you know another go. I think you'll go for the, the sort of ultra safety and, and experience of Cathcart, and yeah. of Cathcart. Yeah. yeah, agreed. I think Serial is a bit too much of a kind of unknown quantity in the Premier League. I mean, he had he had some poor performances, didn't he? Uh, he you know gave away the penalty. He seemed like he didn't. He seemed like he'd forgotten how to defend at, at times. But I'm I'm just thinking back to his you know performance earlier on in the season when he you know he looked you know very decent and. Hmm. It looked like he had made that transition from Championship to Premier League very well, but but yeah, no, he, you know, as all players do, he sort of uh, had a bit of a poor run of form and and, and lost his place. But no, Cathcart's a, a you know a safe pair of hands, and it, it, Cathcart does seem to be one of those players who plays up to whoever is alongside him, and and also <laughs> his performance seems to drop if he's alongside a poor central defender. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I can't say I have. <laughs> I was waiting for Jordan. Well, I think he's. I think he's a. Comp- you look at Cathcart as a centre back who's not. He's not the more. He's never going to be the more aggressive of the centre back. He he plays somewhat off his his partner, regardless of who they are. I, I think he organises well. He does his job. He's he's generally quite safe in his decision making. Uh, he clears into good positions, but he's never going to be the more the more aggressive of the two. So I think perhaps that's probably what you're thinking. He, he's he's always someone that's going to be there to like mob up a little bit and. And be in the right position. I think that's definitely his quality um, for for Craig. I think that, as you say, he's he's probably the most likely choice with uh, with what we have available for Hodgson. Left back, I think Kamara kind of. I think he'll make that role his own. Right yeah. back, I think Fermenia will do as well. Yeah. Uh, and then the midfield, of course, is is difficult to to say right now. But if it was a four four two, personally, I think you're going to see you're going to see loser being used and Sissoko. And then the wide positions, I, I, I'm not entirely sure the route we would go down, but I think it wouldn't be surprising to me if we saw uh, one of the kind of more defensive uh, choices taken for that one. So Semmer and Cleverly is is your inkling, is it? My inkling would maybe be my inkling would maybe be Semmer and Dennis, and then Pedro and King up front, at least until Sars available. Okay, interesting. That's not how I would do it, but I like I like. Like, it's it's not how I would do it either, but I'm trying to make I'm trying to make some judgments based off what we have and and based off Roy. But it's yeah, it's just a, just a guess. All right, Tom. Any any major differences from that? If it was me trying to pick for Roy, if that makes sense, yeah, I would probably go as I said earlier, Sissoko, and then on the right, and then loser cleverly, I think, and then Dennis left with King and let's assume the Sar isn't fit to start at the moment even though he came off the bench of Senegal and scored uh, in the AFCON quarterfinal let's go JP10 off of him okay. and I'd put um, Ngakia and I'd put Ngakia at right back because I just think he can defend and Kiko uh, less so well I'll tell you what Jordan you've convinced both myself and Tom in the in the space of an hour that Tom Cleverly deserves to be the right midfielder going forward. So, well <laughs> he I think he deserves he's to def- be. I just think there's a, there's a good <laughs> chance that he's involved in some capacity. It wouldn't Agreed. surprise me from that side. I think if, you know, it's, it is a, it's kind of a stereotype and it is kind of lazy and whatnot, but I do think those players that are, you know, are solid, if not spectacular, you know, 
can be tactically and, and, and otherwise disciplined, just carry out instructions and do the basics well. And the most weeks are kind of six or seven out of 10. They've all got a chance under someone like Roy Hodgson because, and you know, like, this is not saying this from a position of watching Roy Hodgson teams regularly. I, obviously I don't, um, I, you know, I've not supported any of them, but that's my kind of perception of the kind of guys he likes. And you look at the kind of teams he's had and, he, you know, take his most recent Palace teams, you know, you, you had a very sort of solid, unspectacular core in there, didn't you? Players like James McCarthy, James MacArthur, uh, Gary Cahill was at centre-back. Uh, I'm trying to think of other, you know, but you, you get the point, I think, that, you know, and there was a sprinkling of flair in there. Obviously, there was Sahar and Townsend were the two, really, weren't they, who played as that kind of, that dual, that, that pairing up front at times and, it worked to, to an extent, but, you know, he he will put in the people that do the job for the team. You know, Christian Benteke was a non-scoring striker for Palace for ages, wasn't he? But he did, and, and he scores goals now, weirdly enough, but he did a job for them, didn't he? You know, he, he performed a specific role in that team that Roy Hodgson needed to get the best out of the rest of the team, or to get the best out of more exciting, more 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 gifted players. And I just think, you know, there's a, there's a role for people like Cleverley and Cathcart and actually, yeah, maybe even Ken Semmer um, in, in in a Roy Hodgson team because he can say, right, this is what I need you to do for 90 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Just I'm thinking of like the Alman Abdi performance against Liverpool all those years ago where he was on the right midfield and his job was just, you know, not what you'd associate with Alman Abdi, but he did the job for the team defensively. And I just think someone like Ken Semmer, yeah, he's, he's very unlikely to beat a man for pace and then whip in a brilliant cross. But you can rely on him to work hard and put a shift in. And if the job is to, you know, tuck in there, put a shift in, protect the left-hand side, you know, even sacrifice yourself so that Hassan Kamara, who looks like he likes going forward, can can get forward and even drop in at left wing back at left back at times. Then you know he's going to do that. You know, I think there's a clean clean kind of slate for everyone except Danny Rose, who I suspect is probably done because as a club decision more than anything. Um, does that make sense? Yep. Perfect answer. Well done, Tom. Oh, thank you. 25 marks for me. <laughs> Why 25? That's such a... It's like thing. an exam thing, isn't it? We're on a big big, big, uh, big exam question, like 25 marks, isn't it? Like mini essay. Okay. <laughs> it's been so long. Well, it was when I was doing exams, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next question, Jordan. Mm. Yeah, next question. So this is somewhat of a, of a negative in some ways, but... Will we come straight back up next season, which is obviously assuming we get relegated? <laughs> Who out of the 11 can you see leaving slash staying in the summer? This is a, a quite a big question. I don't want to spend the whole time kind of going to the individuals. Uh, but the, the names that Jack's picked out here are Loser, Kayembe, Kamara, etc. I, I think it's tough. Uh, well, I think no, we'll definitely be... <laughs> Please, none of them. You them? Oh, none of them leaving, do you say? Yeah, yeah. Um, leaving. Yeah, I think it's it's like it's tough to say. It, it, it all depends on the offers that come in, the structure of contracts, but... I don't think we'll hold on to any... I think the main point I'd say on this is I don't think we'll be looking to hold on to any of the, the big assets like we did last time. Um, but that's, that's kind of in regards to Saar, Pedro... Yeah, and, I think Saar goes even if we stay up, personally. Um, it's just whether he goes for, you know, a reasonable fee or whether he goes for a cut price fee. Yeah, I think Saar should should go regardless of, of um, what, what position we're in next season. I think I'd agree with that. So that's 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 the that's the stonewaller that's that's definitely not going to be in the squad next season. I wouldn't be surprised if someone took a punt on on Jao Pedro, seeing seeing you know how he adapted to the Premier League this season in a, in a fairly reasonable way. Um, 
and you know I I think that he would be very open to staying in the Premier League so even though I know he could help us next season I I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone's interested yeah they'll, they'll definitely be interested for sure um I don't think people will be too interested in King um I suspect, I mean, technically, he's still with us. Uh, Andre Gray's definitely going at the end of the, the season. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. We forgot that he's still there, didn't we? Mm. Um, I think Tom Cleverley might be at the end of his last season. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Not because, you know, he's done anything wrong. It's just, um, you know, I, I think he's starting to, you know, just his legs are going, aren't they? Just at the point of his career, it would be, it'd be strange for us to extend him much further, I think. Maybe Cathcart as well? I mean, it could be a real overhaul, actually. I mean, we could have a big summer transfer window if, if some of these players are, are off. Sure, it's going to be a big overhaul regardless, honestly. Yeah. We need it. We do need it. And that's what I was saying earlier. You know, even if Hodgson does well, I, I don't necessarily think he's the man for the rebuild that we, we so desperately need. And I hope that for that reason, he's allowed to go off and enjoy his... Retirement, whatever happens, because I do think we need, and I said this on Twitter the other day, we need a complete, you know, hard reset really on on how we go about pretty much everything, you know, staffing structure, what we're going to be as a club, what our identity is, you know, the the youth side of it, the recruitment side of it. I'm not saying that none of it works, but I just think there are a lot of things that need need attention, and and the squad's kind of profile. Is, is is a big one, if not the biggest one for me, because it's a squad that's been built over so many head coaches. You know, you've got guys that were there, not many of them admittedly, but, you know, a couple of guys that are there at least kind of four or five years ago now for probably six managers ago. And it's, I don't know, it's it's, it's hardly a surprise when you look at all those those factors that we're, we're in the situation we're in. So, Shall we answer the, um, will we come straight back up next season in a, a yes or no fashion from each of us no if we go down no because we will have a, a sale a fire sale i'm sure of it and we will have to cut our cloth yeah for me for me i think we're going to be on the fringes of the playoffs um maybe, maybe not even making the playoffs so there's hard hard truth there well, i'm gonna say yes then just to be contrary to oh <laughs> well done jordan I, I just think if you look at last time we went down and we kind of pretty much Capu obviously went in the January, Decore went in the summer, of the ones that actually really made a big contribution. I hope I'm not forgetting anyone else, but to the side prior to that, but we kept everyone else. I just don't see a way that we can do that again, either because they're happy to stick around in the Championship or financially. Um, I just think there will be a big turnover, and if that happens, I don't know if there's enough there to compete with some of the, you know, the bigger and better and more ambitious and well-moneyed teams in the Championship these days. So I just don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think we'd do well to get in the playoffs if we lost Saar, Pedro, Dennis, etc. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, right. So we've got two more left. So there's something Jeremy Keats. Uh, been thinking that Saar, that the Saar transfers had a big impact on us. Grassi wanted other positions filled. Instead, we spent money on one player. It also dictates the formation. We need to play with wide forwards. Leave us quite open. When will we sell? Profit will be minimal. Yeah, I I know what Jeremy said. Jeremy's point here is: Did we allocate funds to a player who, whilst he's obviously talented, doesn't necessarily fit what we were trying to do, and has taken away from other areas we could have operated in? I, I think for me, I think Sar's impact has been 
very positive for us. I think it's hard to it's hard to say he's been a negative. Whilst I understand that the, the point of the question, I think he's still been a positive move. I think he's someone that we should have maybe looked to facilitate a little bit better at times. But he, he played a big part in us almost saying or attempting to stay up and getting promoted. And he's definitely been the bright point when played uh, for, for large portions this season too. Uh, you, there's, a, there's a world in which we didn't spend the money on Sarah and we spread that around a little bit more effectively. But then at the same time, we've arguably tried to do that in, in, in windows like this one where we've done, we've kind of spread that finance across a few players and it's being criticised also. So I think it's just a, I think it's an, a hindsight situation. You can you can look at the situation and maybe have a different opinion. But I think largely he's been positive. Uh, in terms I don't, of selling, yeah, I don't. I don't think the, the the Saar transfer is the big impact that that we had that you know that you know has had an effect on the team. I think the big impact was the failure to bring in defensive reinforcements after the FA Cup season. I think, yeah, that's, cool. I think that's that's really what what hit us. Yeah, no, it it did, and it did hit us, and I, I think also. Also, continuing uh, building with a, sp- a specific idea in mind, I think falling away from that has definitely been a negative. Tom, anything on that? I think you're absolutely right in everything you say. The SAR deal, it's not been a waste or a bad decision necessarily. It just hasn't worked out the way that I don't, you know, I think the Potsos would probably admit, even, or the ownership would probably admit, it hasn't worked out the way, you know, they would probably see that as a consolidation of where we finished in 1819 under Gracia and you know a statement of intent that we were going to really kick on that season 1920 and have a good year but it's a, a, you know and, and maybe finish in the top half for the first time and then be able to sell him at a big profit because he'd done you know well and been a big made a big contribution to that but it's a sign of the lack of joined up thinking and you know something I've written about and whinged about before that they signed a player uh, that played a certain way and, and needed to play in a certain system and so on and so forth for a team where he just didn't fit in for a coach that you know didn't necessarily want a player like that and then appointed another coach off the back of that who didn't really know how to get the best out of him either. So, you know, it's... Yeah, I'm, I'm using it as a, a stick to beat the club with at the moment, but I agree with what Jordan said, basically. I'm just getting more and more negative, aren't I, on this pod? <laughs> and I'm actually quite positive. I'm actually looking forward to the Burnley game. And, and I do think that if we've got a chance of staying up, it comes from the fact that we appointed Roy Hodgson. Well, these, so, these are quite broad questions too we're answering. So I think that's fair. Uh, okay, then. Well, the last question uh, from from Lou Orns. Does everything at the club feel mayor? Same mistakes being made. Recruitment has no plan. The same happened in 1920 season. More expansive play from Zisco and Javi. Both should have gone in the summer. Too defensive from Kike Sanchez-Flores and Ranieri. Both shouldn't have been here. And now, the disciplinarian British approach. Um, yeah, I think I've, I think I know what he's talking about. I mean, it does feel... It, it feels like it's almost history repeating itself, isn't it? Now we've got um, Nigel Pearson again. Or, you know, uh, Roy Hodgson, uh, for, for lack of a better word. Isn't this what all clubs do, though? And, and even like England, to a certain extent, you know, look, look at it. You can you can extrapolate this out over the entire kind of pots of ownership, really, can't you? you right back to the first manager, I won't go through them, but obviously they bring in Zola, who it might not have been the reason they brought him in, but he was undeniably a very, you know, amiable, happy chappy, easygoing, blah, blah, blah. Next manager they bring in is Beppe Sinino, who's the opposite. He's a complete lunatic has them in the training ground 20, 25 hours a day, eight days a week, 366 days a year, 
so then they go for someone a bit different. Then they go back to a lunatic in in Yukanovich and he gets them up. Then they go to someone who's more amiable. I'm doing what I said I wouldn't, which is going through them. But you know what I mean? It's the same with it's the same with all other clubs. Look at like Man United. They go from Mourinho to the the, the complete antithesis of Mourinho: happy, smiley, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Then they get a serious manager. And what's the bit? And the next manager's a you know easygoing, smiley, soundbite manager. They all do it. I don't I don't think we're any more or less guilty than any other given club. I think, the, I think the thing that becomes tiresome, though, is we're constantly at this stage of, okay, we're starting here. This is the direction we're going in. A few months later, okay, we're resetting. Season's done. We look ahead to next season. Get to that position. You know, we have a bit of success in the, in the championship. Get promoted again. A few games in. This isn't working. Change things. Okay, we'll, look, we'll try and stay up. Look ahead to next season. We keep getting to the beginning of plans and not seeing them through. And, mm. and it's just tiring. It's, it becomes tiresome to be in this oh, well, next year we'll do this, or in a few months' time we can do this, or hopefully when this all comes together, we're never in the middle of that process. The fact that the Javi Gracia season is is by far the most positive and the thing, the time that things felt most stable and we were kind of working towards something, and even that wasn't a full a full year uh, in charge. And it, we just have never had that consistent ball-rolling progression. It's always been stop, start, stop, start. And I think that leaves us feeling quite numb to it at a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that that is fair. I would say I, it, there's there's an element of for me, and this is how I saw the question from Lawrence earlier. And this was how I kind of interpreted it and and my feelings towards it. That a lot of the same mistakes are being repeated, and and it, it, it's difficult to feel an affinity with a club where there are you know players don't stick around for something. Mean, some of them do, but a lot of them don't stick around for particularly long. Managers definitely don't stick around for particularly long and you know when you see decisions that you know we all think we know better than the club right we all think we could slot into the role of CEO or sporting director and and, and do a better job because we can see everything that they can't um and I include myself in that I'm you know perfect obviously um so when you see what you think are mistakes and you know a lot of the time do you know it does bear out to be they do bear out to be mistakes happening it, I think it's very easy when you haven't got the reward of something to, you know, attach yourself to players, managers, a winning team, it's it's very hard to get frustrated. And I think, yeah, I think we all feel a bit meh. Meh is the word at the moment, right? Towards 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 everything to do with Watford. Sadly. Yeah. Oh, what a way! Yeah. What a way to end it. Well, someone say something positive. These, <laughs> these are broad questions, which these are these are broad questions, which I think honestly the. The, the mindset and approach to how we feel about it is based on what's happening now. We need to see change. And if we see change, we can start to feel more positive about things. There are foundations here we can build off which are positive. We just need to see some certain changes from from the ownership. And I think it doesn't take too much and we can start to look in more of a positive direction. But as things stand, there's a lot of questions that need to be ans- answered. We're in a precarious situation right now. So I think, of course, there's going to be some level of pessimism or, or negativity around certain certain questions because... Clearly, we feel quite unstable, but uh, I think we can still have things that we can hang on to and, and look and look at in a positive manner. I think we do do that generally. I know sometimes it might feel like we're we're talking negatively as, as to how we've asked these questions, but I, I think for the most part, we we still feel a, a fair amount of optimism. Here, here. At, at this stage of the season, who's your bottom three, Jordan? Oh, well, I still think. I still think of obviously, and I know that it's they beat us three nil. 
I know that it's it's a team that has kind of been on the upward trajectory, especially compared to, to how we've been going. But I still think Norwich are going to be in the bottom three coming into the season. I think Burnley will struggle again. I, I don't think they'll quite escape. And apart from that, I think it's at the moment my my gut feeling is to say it's us us Norwich and Burnley. But there's still plenty of the season to change that around. But as of right now, that's probably my my feeling, which is very contrary to me saying that we are kind of somewhat optimistic. <laughs> How about you guys? I think I'd have to agree. But um, like you say, there's, you know, half the season left to go, isn't there? So, I mean, it can all, well, it can't all change. We're not going to see Man City down in the bottom three. But, <laughs> I mean, I'd say up to Brentford um, really should be looking over their shoulders because, you know, there are some tough fixtures uh, coming up for all of those sides. And, you know, Watford... Watford do find wins in places that they they're unexpected to uh, you know to come away with some points. So uh, you know I, I'm certainly not I, I haven't I haven't lost faith yet, but but I I do feel as though if we continue the trajectory that we have been under the previous previous regime, that it will unfortunately end with us finishing in in one of those bottom three places. Tom, if you'd asked me coming out of the Norwich game, I said there's not a cat in hell's chance we stay up, not because. You know, we haven't got enough time, not because of a single result, but because of a single performance just could not have inspired less optimism than me that we'd get our act together and get ourselves out of it. Not a lot has changed since then, obviously. You know, we haven't, we've only signed Samuel Kalou. Um, but the optimism that Roy Hodgson gives me is enough to say we've got a chance now, but... I still think if you take all the information we've got up to this point, you know, 20 games nearly is it um or slightly over 20 games i would have to say i think it's i think we'll still go down it's very hard to know burnley because they've made quite a few changes and they haven't played football in ages newcastle obviously made quite a few changes and will probably sign one or two more before this pod gets uh gets published so it's it's very hard to say i still think brentford are in a bit of trouble and might get dragged into it and they're kind of you know do good factor and a feel good factor has kind of papered over some cracks so us Brentford and someone how about that Norwich they're terrible they'll, they'll sort themselves out eventually and, and by sort themselves out I mean regress to the mean and get relegated there you go us Norwich and Brentford cheery nice nice a bit of a mixture um okay then guys well thanks very much for joining me on this uh transfer deadline day special with no real transfer news to report <laughs> but we have managed to talk about uh, the biggest piece of transfer news really for what which was bringing in the new manager in uh, in Roy Hodgson and his assistant Ray Lewington and I think we've ended that podcast on a little bit of hope now that wasn't there before so well, that's good news I think right yeah yeah, yeah I think we, we've We've got some positivity, it's just we're slightly reserved as well. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. Well, thanks very much. Um, just to say that uh, if you haven't heard, we have a Patreon now and you can find that on Watford Buzz. Uh, if you just type in Watford Buzz pod on uh, Patreon, it should you should you should manage to find it. Um, also, uh, can you give us a follow on Twitter if you uh, if you haven't done already? That would be much obliged. Uh, at Watford Pod, just give us a follow. And, um, and you know, that's the place where we always post stuff. Also, uh, go and give uh, Jordan and Tom a follow at Jordan Weimer at TB Bedell. Is that right, Tom? That's correct. That's right. 
Um, and uh, and you can give myself a follow as well if you like, at Messi Messiano. I keep fluctuating between 2,000 and 1,999. It's very annoying. So I'd love to get there above. There he goes, bragging with his follower I'd love to get again. above 2,000. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's about that. So, um, yeah, uh, give us all a follow. Join us on Patreon if you'd like to, where you can find uh, this show, but without any adverts. Um, and more exclusive stuff that, um, that that we bring every now and again. And uh, yeah, the future is bright, guys. The future is bright. Where we've got a a new management duo, and I'm feeling positive. I'm feeling positive. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I I think we've got a chance now. I really, do. I really do. I've changed my tune. Well, on to Burnley, man. I wish us luck. On to Burnley. We'll see you <laughs> after Burnley. And hopefully we'll be talking about three points for the Hornets. Until then, it's goodbye from myself. Goodbye from myself. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to leave it for us. What was he expecting? What were you expecting? <laughs> Normally you just say goodbye from us all. Go on, Tom. Say goodbye from me also. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>